It's in the danger zone. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Ooh, sorry. No, sorry. We're sorry, we're laughing. It's just, that was bad timing. Sorry. So, hello everyone, and welcome uh, to uh, a special edition of the BIHA podcast. Um, I'm joined today um, specifically with uh, Mike Solossi. Now, did I pronounce that right? That's the first thing. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not bad. There's as many different ways of saying my name is. Uh... Probably people in Canadian, Hungarian, English people in the world. So, fair enough, fair enough. Now, um, this is a very special edition of the podcast. You may remember I've done this before, folks, with uh, you and Heels. I thought, who better to get involved than the big man himself, uh, Mike? Um, so, uh, Mike, uh, just to start us off, uh, this uh, this maybe take you back a few years. Tell, tell us a bit about when and how you got into ice hockey. Let's take this back a number of years, yeah. Uh, I, I grew up in Canada, just in a small town just north of Toronto. I was, that's where I was born. So it was just a thing. Um, is what you did, everybody did. Uh, I remember doing hockey school when I was about three. And I, I have some of my first memories of trying to learn to skate, pushing around chairs on the ice and things. Um, uh, so I blame whoever was teaching me then for whatever mess I'm in now. But I, I played for a number of years. I moved to Newmarket, uh, which is also it's a bigger town north of Toronto where I played uh, OMHA. So I played, uh, I can't remember what, what league it was, but I tried to explain what Newmarket is. I said that's the team that uh, Connor McDavid played for. It's a little bit after me, but it's the same team. And then uh, I quit for a number of years. I stopped playing hockey when I went to university in Toronto, and I didn't uh, I quit for... 15 years or something like that. No, I started when I got back to Sheffield uh, when I was finished my PhD. So, um, timeline then, when, when roughly did you uh, did you move to Sheffield, uh, which is essentially the UK's version of Toronto? Yeah. Uh, the uh, okay. Price hockey, yeah. Uh, that's one of the reasons I chose it, because when I was looking to do a PhD, uh, I came over here, and um, I had a choice between a few different places, and Sheffield said they had an ice hockey uh, reputation, uh, and I, I brought my equipment over to play. I thought, you know, I'll start playing hockey again, but they wanted to sign me up for the semi-pro team right away, just on the basis that I was Canadian, and I hadn't played in 15 years. I was desperately out of shape, and I said, no thanks, and then I didn't do anything to pursue it for five, six years until I had... Uh, uh, my first my, my, my first child and then I thought okay now I gotta get back in shape so um, yeah it was about uh, I moved here in 97 didn't start playing until about 2003 I was well out of shape by the time I started okay okay and obviously um, being a, like a young kid growing up in Canada as you say it's kind of what you do in Canada when you when you grow up and who who sort of were your biggest influences to get into ice hockey Oh, my dad had a lot to do with it. Uh, Leaf, Darren Leaf fan. He coached at the hockey school. He was headmaster at the local school as well. So he really good at the pedagogy. He got me interested. That's why I always had an interest in coaching. Uh, so he started me off. 
uh, he gets all the all the blame. Uh, and then um, <laughs> credit. And then uh, yeah, my my favorite players. I was uh, I spent uh, when I was about three. I had a year, the kind of the obligatory years, cheering against uh, the Leafs and whoever my dad hated most. Which turned out that was the Philadelphia Flyers. Who I think won the cup that year. That was uh, the year they had the big team uh, with uh, Bobby Clark and the like. Uh, and then after that, it's been a Leafs fan ever since. So I was a huge Daryl Sittler fan. Uh, and so I still wear 27 now because of Daryl Sittler. I try to explain that to people and nobody remembers who he is. So he he, he was a Leafs player, presumably. Yeah, I saw a Leafs captain in the 70s, yeah. And he wore 27 because of Frank Mohovlich, who was the, the who wore 27 before that throughout the 60s. And he was, ironically, my dad always said that um, the way I played uh, reminded him of Mohovlich, kind of like, Bit big and stupid, I guess. But his nickname was the Big M, so I always thought that was there was a bit of symmetry coming up there. Uh, but, you know, like how many ever talking forty years later when that became my nickname or similar <laughs> to it. And uh, so um, back in back in those days, so did you did you see the witness the Leafs and things back in the days before helmets were mandatory? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People skating around with no helmets and. Um, uh, you know, I mean, when the helmets came in, you know, the, the kind of thing about, you know, people were, they had the same kind of uh, stigmatism, people now wearing uh, cages, you know, the, 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 it was a comedy thing, you know, like, why would you wear that silly thing? And, you know, just the play, especially in the 70s, when everybody had, you know, the, the big curly afros like Del Sittler had and Bobby Clark, you know, like masses of, of hair just going everywhere. It's ridiculous haircuts and none of that under a helmet. You couldn't tell, you know, uh, the, the players are just all their, their bad hair choices are just there for everybody to see and, and and if you can cast your mind back who, who had the best flow around that time that, or do you not remember <laughs> uh, it's, I always think of flow as something like you know long at the back and like and I always associate with the 80s mullets uh, but I, I mean in, in the 70s I mean Dale Sittler was great because he had curly wild hair everywhere Bobby Clark had curly wild hair everywhere my hair was always kind of like boring and straight so I guess I always had a slight envy of people that had more interesting hair but um, yeah I mean there was, some, there was some truly ridiculous hair in those days I mean just it, kind of, it was the 70s everything fashion wise hair wise everything was terrible so um, only outdone by the 80s there were terrible years to grow up for, for fashion and for looks man I tell you <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. And how did the, how did the NHL hockey differ back back in those days compared to it's, watching it now? It's really funny because my kids all play and they're, they're they're all interested in in the history. So uh, you know, I watch some of the old games with them. You know, you can get some of these on NHL.com and if you got the uh, subscription. And then in uh, the the Xbox game NHL 20, they've got the old alumni teams. So we'll play as the alumni Leafs sometimes, and sometimes we we'll get all four of us playing at once. You know, those uh, all on the same team or against each other. And I start yelling st- like crazy stuff. Like I start yelling Daryl Sittler, and uh, my daughter first time she heard that thought I said Daryl Hitler. She was trying to figure out who Daryl Hitler was. But, um, you know, I start yelling, you know, like, oh, Frank Mahovlich, and they're, they're wondering, uh, you know, who the hell I'm talking about. So I have to kind of explain as best I can. Players who sometimes I barely remember seeing. Uh, but, yeah, it was... Um, it was it, it wasn't good hockey I don't remember um, you know it's a golden age now there was a lot of uh, I mean everybody talks about all the time hockey and stuff but there was a lot of fighting a lot and it just got absolutely boring you'd have these bench clearing brawls all the time like, I, I, I don't hate fighting in the game I mean I'm, I'm not a fighter uh, I don't send people out to fight but I mean it, it's got its place in the game and that's fine but uh, you get bored you'd be watching a game and uh, you know a fight would start and then 
the whole line would be out there. So you'd have 10 guys on the ice fighting. So you could literally go make yourself, uh, you know, a, a box of popcorn or, you know, a big bowl of popcorn, get yourself a drink, go to the toilet, come back 10 minutes later, and then maybe started to pick up the gloves. So it, it got really tedious sometimes. I mean, there was some brilliant hockey, and the excitement was, of course, when you're a young guy, and all the excitement is fantastic, and you you remember all these you know, classic rivalries. But, um yeah, one of my enduring memories is just the tedium of the fights sometimes. And then, uh, you know, kind of 80s and 90s, you had the clutch and grab and the, uh, you know, the, the, the trap, everybody playing the trap. So I think we're, you know, kind of blessed right now with some really exciting, fast-paced, very skillful hockey. So I, 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 I'm nostalgic for it, but for more of the stuff around it rather than the game itself and the way it was played. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, um, I, I remember this because I'm just old enough to remember this, but do you... Uh... <laughs> What was your thoughts of the the old uh, two line pass rule? For perhaps you should explain it first, and then yeah. and then and then maybe say what your thoughts on it. <laughs> what do you want me to explain? Oh wow, okay. Um, yeah, I, I had to do this to my son the other day because we were um, we were talking about clutching. Like I said I was explaining it to him. My, my eldest that plays uh, Sheffield under 18s, and um, I said, you know, yeah, you didn't. I said two line pass, and he what's that? I said, okay, you couldn't pass it from behind your own blue line over the red line. So it was it was like an offside pass or a two line pass, and he just looked at me with confusion. His face says, "Well, that sucks." <laughs> there was no stretch pass; you could not do a stretch pass. Um, I don't know if the rule was the same in in Europe. Um, it, was, it was the it same was, in Europe. It? Yeah. Um, I, the only the only slight thing I don't know if it was the same in Canada is that you could, if the person who you were passing it to started behind the red line as you released the puck. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah. It was too, it it did kind of compress the whole game. And it was the days when they were playing a trap or when there was a lot more clutching and grabbing. And, you know, like, I I remember playing on the Xbox game. And, you know, now you have buttons, all the, all the complicated buttons to do with toe drags and to do all these, you know, kind of free puck deeks. And in those days, you had a button for, for grab. You had a button (laughs) literally to grab onto the player wherever they were on the ice and just hold on to them. And that wasn't so long ago. That was like the, you know, the 90s, and the, you know, kind of early 2000s, I think he still maybe had that. I just found my old instruction book, so I'll look through them for the old, uh, you know, the NHL 02 and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it, was um, it, it got really, really silly at times. You know, it kind of led to some boring hockey. Having said that, I mean, I, I never loved hockey more than the early 90s when the Leafs had that great team with Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark, and um, uh, uh, who else was there? There was um, people like Dave Anderchuk and all those guys. I mean, that was that was one of my favorite times. That was the Leafs made it all the way to the, the what's now I guess the semifinals. Um, they beat St. Louis in the quarterfinals in seven games, and you know, Toronto exploded. Toronto went crazy. Uh, the whole city, and that was just winning a, the, the quarterfinals. And then we went to play L.A. in this famous um, final uh, semifinal round to, to play Montreal in the final, and uh, that you know, Toronto just came to a standstill. It was a seven-game series, two back to back. So that was crazy stuff. It was great hockey. I mean, I loved it, but you know, like if you look back and see how it's played, it looks a lot slower. The, the technique isn't there. The players aren't as strong. Um, and and back in those days, I mean, you obviously it sounds like you were you were big into your hockey despite it being a bit slower. What was the the most memorable game that you you attended? Oh, the, oh yeah, well, I got um, game seven, uh, nineteen ninety three. I'm pretty sure it was the Leafs uh, against St. Louis. Um, so a, f- a friend of mine, I was at I was at university in Toronto, and um, Leafs had got through to the quarterfinals, and this we had this epic series uh, against uh, St. Louis. 
because uh, Leafs were in the Western Conference in those days. And uh, it went to Game 7, and I was in Maple Leaf Gardens for Game 7. Uh, and when we, we won that, and it was that, that was just, I mean, I, I, a couple years earlier, the, uh, the Blue Jays, the baseball team, had won the World Series. And that was a great party in the streets, and Toronto does great street parties for things like that, not that it happens too often, but um, it was a million people on the streets uh, just partying and having a great time. You couldn't move for downtown. And uh, when the Leafs won that Game 7, we all spilled out of Maple Leaf Gardens, and uh, it was, you know, more than a million people on the streets, and it, it was a party like like nothing. And they put the the World Series victory in the shade, and that was only a, a semi, uh, sorry, a quarterfinal victory. So it, it gives you a sense of you know what hockey means in in Toronto and to Torontonians and that whole area. But it was, um, yeah, the, the game itself was absolutely. I just remember screaming myself hoarse. I, I don't remember much about the game actually. <laughs> I did just get a, I did I did just get a book um, by a, a, a very popular, a decent writer, a Toronto Star journalist. I got it for Christmas um, that talks about that series and, and that year. I think it's called The Last Good Season uh, about that Leafs team with you know Clark and Gilmore and the like. And um, it, it, I'm looking forward. That's on my to read list, my quarantine read list. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And um, so, uh, obviously, hockey would have been would have ranked first in in terms of the sort of the big four American sports as I as I call them baseball. Um, obviously, it would be CFL in Canada and and uh, basketball. Yeah. I mean, how do they rank compared to hockey, and 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 in what sort of order do they rank? Oh, um, I haven't lived in Canada for. Uh, over 20 years now so sometimes I don't really know I mean the NBA has gotten huge uh, in Canada uh, because of the Raptors who I think they arrived in Toronto the year before I moved to Montreal the year after I moved to Montreal so I, I'm kind of not in on the NBA stuff as much as a lot of people in Canada a lot of Torontonians are now uh, but um, I mean hockey's it, it's it's not just like a sport it, it's um it's more like football here, but even more so. Like you know, when when I when I've gone home in the winter, which hasn't been much in the last few years, when got kids, it's very hard to get back. And you know, for for Christmases and the, all the flights, and everything for such a short time. But when when I'm back, you can be driving around, listening to the game in the car. Then you get into a shop, and then say you're doing a shop or whatever, and the game is on there, and people will gather around. If the Leafs score, everybody gathers around the TV to watch, and uh, you know, you just it, it's a common language everybody speaks. It's 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 beyond just the sport. It's something that everybody's interested. And even the people that say I don't care about hockey, they will take the time to look and watch. And uh, or you know, even strangely now, there are more kids. I guess you know, kids are cheering for other teams because the Leafs been bad for so long. But it's it's a language everybody speaks. Everybody understands the language of hockey. We, we um, you know, the it, it affects the language and affects the culture in such a way that you know it's kind of you can't extract it. So I think it's it's just sort of class on its own in terms of what it means to people in that area. And of course, Toronto is a huge market for hockey as well. It's it's you know the it's the sport and it's a very big city, so it's a huge market. And is it? I mean, for a lot of a lot of people, they won't have ex- experienced maybe going to across to Toronto and stuff. I mean, the, the sort of the. The minor league teams are just as popular over there, or, or maybe not just as popular, but they're, I think they're probably better attended than they are over here. What's the experience like going to say a junior game in in, in the OHL or? Uh, yeah, the, you get some decent attendances for those as well. I mean, I 
uh, again, I haven't been for for a long time. Things have changed a lot. I have to keep reminding myself about Canada that um, you know it's not. I have kind of like an immigrant uh, experience of it now, where it's uh, I kind of um, my vision of the country is kind of frozen in time for when I moved over. So it's um, like like 1920s Italy was for my grandmother, but um, it was. Uh, it, yeah, the, the the junior teams are popular. They have a, they have a real uh, following. Uh, not really so much where I live. So uh, we always you know, but we were always like forty minute drive from downtown Toronto. So that that's close in Canadian terms. So you know, we just go see the Leafs. Uh, but I have seen that the Marlies they get you know uh, full stadiums all the time, and yeah, more people than the top league here. So but that's AHL. So that's only one league down. Uh, yeah, the junior teams are really well followed as well. People care about you know things like the draft, and they 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 follow you know the up and coming players. Cool, cool. And um, not to, I'll, not, I'll not stretch your, your your knowledge of Canada too much. You, uh, you then you then moved here in 1997 to uh, to Sheffield. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Um, yeah. And what? How did you get back involved with ice hockey? Uh, the great thing about Sheffield is, I mean, we had um, the. Uh, the Steelers were here. So I watched the Steelers a lot the first couple of years. Uh, I went with um, my brother to some of the games. And before, you know, you had a phone, you could just Google who he play for. He had encyclopedic knowledge of all the players. So they talk about this player and that, and he'd say, oh, yeah, he was in the you know Pittsburgh farm system, or he played four games for the for the Red Wings or something. He had this knowledge. So it was, it was good hockey. It was fun to watch. Uh, and then I started having children, and that's how I wound up staying here. But um, when we had our first kid, um, I um, – Obviously, you know, uh, the whole process of having children um, is, uh, you know, it's not great for most, uh, well, not great for fitness, let's say. So I got desperately out of shape. I had just written a PhD as well. So I was hadn't been exercising at all. And then I thought, I just got to get back into shape. And I tried fencing for a while. I was terrible at it. Um, so I decided to get back into hockey. And uh, then I, I literally did two or three sessions with uh, a local rec team. And there were a couple of guys from the university that said they just formed uh, a team. So they said, uh, I was a lecturer at the time. So they said, you can uh, you can come and join the, uh, the uni team. So that was it. I was pretty much doing that ever since and uh yeah so you'll you'll know just about the full history of the bears um yeah pretty close i, I missed the first the very first national thing they didn't do um the cup league the was it league i'm sorry i gotta get this right the league style cup competition uh the first season so the first season they did was nationals i missed that they won i think tier two and then i joined the next year for the first prop for the first time they were in the proper uh cup yeah, that made, I think that would have been the um, – is that the year they had the decider in Murrayfield? That? Um, no, I don't think so. I, it, it could have been. Um, oh, to be honest with you, I don't know. We were, we were, the Bears started in Div 2, so we were uh, – that, that season, we were Div 2. We played against uh, Manchester. There was a, a Nottingham team. Uh, and then we um, – I think for nationals we moved up to Div One that year, so I'd have to. I have all this stored in an archive somewhere about how far back it goes, but I think this was two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, I think well, that's. I think that's around the time the Eagles, Eagles got involved in the mm. in the competition as well. So yeah, I, I yeah. do you have memories of. Correct me if I'm wrong. If Sheffield used to play in blue. Yeah, our first season we had the <laughs> the. Um, the, the blue with a terrible logo and it uh, the, the rec teams used to sit there during our games and there are a couple you know colorful characters in the, in, in the rec teams used to just sit there and say in very broad Sheffield accents it looks like an effing poodle 
Um, and we did. The bear looked like a poodle. Uh, so we changed those after a couple of years and went to black and black and yellow, black and gold, like the University of Sheffield's colors, um, with the new logo, which we stole from the Alaska Aces, I think. Um, but we, a, a few few years ago now, I can't remember how many we produced a, a, an ed- a tenth anniversary shirt. That's uh, so how many years that would be. That uh, was the original blue color with the new logo. I think it's where we launched the new logo, and we had the two old logos on either sleeve, so there are people walking around with the old poodle logo still on it. Mm-hmm. Shirt, we played about a little bit. And um, and from the early days of the VIG, uh, you'll probably remember it was a bit a uh, bit hit or miss if games got played and you had to travel all over the place. So, I mean, mm. do you have any sort of old road stories that you you remember that? Uh, there was one weird thing that always struck me about the year. I think it's because the first year we played in Div Two, uh, but the, that year the, uh, there was a thing in in, in Division Two that uh, the teams had to decide and come to agreement before the game whether or not they were going to play checking or non-checking. Uh, I, I, that that that's true. That's a real memory. Sometimes when you get to my age, you start making stuff up, and you remember things differently. But this 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 is a real thing, and uh, so we and. Most teams just be like, we're going to play checking, we're going to play checking. I remember that it was, um, there was a Manchester team. We had to keep saying, oh, come on, let's play checking, let's play contact. And they're like, no, we don't want to play contact this time. I don't want to sing about Manchester and say that they're bad people or anything. Um, but it was, I just remember trying to think, oh, we, you know, having to ask the question before a game, sorry, is this a checking or a non-checking game? And so, I, I, you know, that was one of the, that was a really weird thing, I thought, that, you know, we, we just didn't have it in stone from the beginning. But, I mean, the, there wasn't, what is there now, five or six leagues in the BYHA? So, you know, it wasn't all quite a set. And, yeah, sometimes, you know, uh, you know games wouldn't happen or, um, you know, we was guilty. We had a – the Bears had a reputation. It was one of our early uh, sayings. Was, we're the Sheffield Bears. We only travel to Whitley Bay once a year because we had to go up twice once to play um, – Newcastle wants to play Northumbria and by the time the second game rolled around we already knew pretty much where we were going to wind up in the league and everybody knew where we were going to wind up in the league so we didn't, we couldn't get decent teams to go up for Tuesday night face-offs at midnight so we just said okay well you know, we won't go for that, that second game so it was it was a bit shameful that but um, it was just the way things were at the time I think. Um, and do, do you you may remember uh, the the, uh, the first season in Division 1 they decided to make it a national division, were you, were you part of that? Yeah, um, no, maybe not, because that might have been before. I remember we used to have to travel a lot further south than we do now. We used to go to Coventry. We, I went to Oxford once for a game, uh, but I think that's just the way the teams fell. I think that maybe the, if, the, if it was a whole national division the first year, we probably weren't in Div 1 that year, and maybe it was the year before I got involved. So uh, there, were, there were a couple of years of BYHA before I started uh, playing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, remember, I, I kind of, um, I go to Coventry all the time, now, anyway, but I've only been to Oxford once. That was for a, a, a like a league-style cup game uh, back, I don't remember when, early 2000s, I think. <laughs> Mid-2000s. Yeah, I mean, it, I uh, I remember the, the Eagles in their first uh, their first in, incarnation of uh, Division 1 having to go to London. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and we went by train, and then we got a tube to the wrong part of London. Oh jeez! Um, <laughs> we we uh, we were told by a guy who was selling watches out his coat um, that we were in the wrong place. Uh, so we were sent we were sent back backing because um, we went to Clapham instead of Clapton or something like that. And, um, so, 
So that e- easy was... mistake to make, isn't it, when you're coming all the way from Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, that was in the bad old days where people had to you had to organise your own fixtures as well. So oh yeah, yeah. Teams conveni- conveniently never contacting each other, such as Edinburgh and Southampton. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we ever spoke until after they changed it to North and South. Oh yeah, well they. Yeah, that would have been a fixture too, wouldn't it? Because they've both been around for ages. Yeah, wow. Mm. No, I mean, I guess the good thing about being in Sheffield is you're kind of dead smack in the middle of the country. So, you know, we we don't really look forward to you know traveling up north to Scotland, but that's kind of maybe more to do with historic record up there than anything else. But um, it's all maximum is five hours, you know, whereas, you know, it, the furthest I've ever been south, I don't think we've ever played. I've never played in London. I've played in Oxford. That's not five hours, not by any stretch. So, um, yeah, we've got a bit of advantage. And that's one of the things the Scottish teams it's a blessing and a curse for them I mean when they have they get um, teams coming up weekend because they might not have the uh, you know, people wanting to make the travel all the way up there but then they come down and you know they have a lot of very difficult away fixtures yeah that's certainly that's certainly the case um, now obviously uh, you you talked about about the early days of the Bears they they, they changed to black and white um, when was when well, was the varsity introduced with the Sheffield I think 2006. Um, I don't want to you know, you know, bore the pod listeners with looking it up, but um, we, we, we were trying to get um, find the old ones, uh, the, the old levels. might have been 2005, actually. And the first time I think we did it was literally just um, uh, we had some spare ice and somebody got the suggestion of why don't we just play Uni versus Hallam. And we didn't know who was who at that point. You know, it was like, well, well, can we do that? Do we have enough? Oh, where do you go? I go to Hallam. Oh, do you? All right. And then we didn't know where people came from. And I think, you know, the first time we did it was just, you know, some, you know, immediate family and our girlfriend sat in the stands. There was hardly anybody there. Uh, that was just at Ice Sheffield. And then we started promoting it to be a bigger and bigger thing. And then when we started selling out Ice Sheffield for it. Um, then the universities brought us on board as part of the, their winter varsity. Uh, and then they started helping promote it. So that was a constant seller at Ice Sheffield. And then they brought it over to the arena. And then they only opened the first half, the, the lower tier of the arena for the first couple of years. So that was when we went to about five, oh, sorry, about 4,000 people a year. And now they open up the whole thing. So we've got about, um, you know, we're, we're selling out the arena every year. Mm-hmm. About 8,000 people. But I think it was around 2006. I know that I've lost every one of them. Um, I've been in every varsity we've had, and University of Sheffield have never won a first varsity. I've, I've lost every one. We have won the seconds now. That's an official um, – I think we're on a roll. I think we've won two in a row uh, for the seconds varsity. But, uh, yeah, never won a first. Thanks. So for the varsity is um – is there any specific rules? Is it just either you're either tied to Sheffield or tied to Hallam? Um, there's, there's the, no- the, Bears, the Bears constitution is um, about three times longer than any other ice hockey club's constitution. And at least uh, two thirds of that are the rules for eligibility to play varsity. Um, we've got it. We, we Obviously, the, it's a thing where it's kind of uh, we. It used to be a thing for the Bears. It's something we did for ourselves, and we wanted to have uh, it would just be the guys that were playing. We just did it, and as it got to be a bigger and bigger thing with more and more um, kind of a 
a bigger reputation. More and more people started coming and just, you know, they wanted to play in that game. So we came up with all sorts of rules to kind of keep it about the Bears. So you've got, uh, you have to be a staff or a student or a first year alumni. So we kind of use BUHA eligibility for that. Um, anybody at other universities can't play at all. Um, the, or the other reason why we have to come up with these rules is because the universities very much like us to just open it up to anybody playing and just go with, um, you know, just say, well, just let anybody who's attending either university have, uh, apply but then you see we get all these uh the, the everybody thinks that those rules are preventing uh sheffield Hallam from bringing in some of the people let's say for the steel dogs that play for them um that they could play for them but really what it's and this sounds a bit strange but it's excluding there's usually uh three to five i believe um steelers on scholarships at the university of sheffield and a lot of the rules are kind of designed to avoid them being dropped into that game. Uh, as much as I'd like to win one, um, it would kind of spoil it as a spectacle because those guys are just so ridiculously much better than the rest of us that it would, as a spectacle, the game would kind of fall apart. So um, we have all these very complicated rules just to kind of say. And then we've also added other things now to try to kind of keep spirit in the club so not only do you have to play x number of games and attend x number of training sessions but you have to volunteer to help out at um x number of games for other teams because we have a lot of teams at the bears so if you're an a teamer who's thinking you'd like to play in varsity you have to make sure you volunteer at let's say a d team game or an e team game working the penalty box or uh doing the music at one of these games to add a bit of atmosphere in life so there's a whole pile of um rules and then there's a, a committee uh that decides it with a, a special ombudsman that decides final eligibility and all sorts of crazy things so um yeah that's it's a very complicated question you didn't think you're gonna get that long an answer for such a for such a simple question but yeah it's very very complex no that's 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 really interesting actually um because obviously for to the to the sort of eagles team um it, it's kind of foreign because our varsity is the eagles against st andrews um mm. and formerly was the eagles against cardiff um, so it's never, it's never. We don't really split the split the teams up. So that this is why I'm asking this next question. What's the, uh, you know, what's the rivalry like? Is it tame because they play on the same team throughout the year, or does it is it a whole different ball game because it means so much to the the universities? It's changing. It, it's changing as the game has. So like the first few years we did it, we didn't think about it until you know a couple of days before the game, and we'd be like, oh yeah, I'll see you Saturday. We're gonna, you know, I'm gonna hit you. Like, oh, what's Saturday? Oh yeah, varsity. Right? Yeah, okay, that would be fun. And now, of course, we get people who come and they, uh, you know, they're trying out. And even during trials, you know, I. Uh, I'm, I'm the Bears head coach, so I'm not supposed to care, but I'm watching and I say, oh, he looks really great. Yeah, that's quality. He's really fast. Uh, and then I kind of look over and go, is he home or uni? Okay. So I don't know if you heard that. If you, I talked under my breath there, but, uh, you know, is he home or uni? And somebody says, oh, he's home. I'm like, oh, crap. Um, but you know, so we start thinking of these things much earlier now. Um, and then, um, you know, the Bears is the Bears, and we kind of, you know, we play all these games together. People don't really think about it. You know, that might be the odd comment in the dressing room where we tease each other a little bit. Come about, you know, a month before when the league's all kind of done and dusted, then uh, everybody goes and starts a full-on varsity trash-talking mode, and, um, you know, I start making jokes about, you know, oh, sorry, you know, um, I'm going to send you out there to get in a fight, and they think, uh, send you over the boards to get in a fight, and the player says, but if I get in a fight, I can't play. Oh, yeah, smart coach. Yeah, that's funny. Um 
and then on, on the ice itself on the day it's, it's kind of weird like um there's been years where you know you've got two people playing for let's say the a's and you know don't like each other they'll use that as an excuse and they will go at each other um the rest of it's kind of weird like um uh, one year i um i i but totally by accident, I did a really bad hit. I got got my hands up more to protect myself, and I, I nailed this guy under his cage with my hands. And he just got up and looked at me like, "What the hell?" And I just turned. I said, "I'm really sorry." And you saw me following him around, trying to apologize. And he's like, oh, "Okay, man." And we hugged it out right there on the ice. So you see weird things like that, but you also see weird things where two guys who you think they get on fine, they're they're really good friends, will just turn on each other and you know you almost start something. You try to break them up, and you're thinking, "Actually, hold up, what's going on here? What are you two doing, you muppets?" So. Um, um, you, you do get some weird dynamics. Of, you, know, it, it, you get the throw in the kind of into the mix, the, the the people, the crowd. I mean, the crowd is insane. I can't say I've ever experienced anything like it. And it it does things to your head. It makes you do weird things. Um, you know, you you go out and do something, and then you think, oh, I'm going to play this up for the fans. You don't even know why you're doing it or what, but it's just you wind up. It's some really interesting dynamics develop, but uh, generally, no, it's not something that impacts us on a day-to-day basis. But on the day itself, it can anything can happen. All 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 rules are out the window. I mean, on on paper, most years we should, you know, uni should get hammered, but somehow, you know, we rise to the occasion, usually make it a game. Although I think one year we've you know, we got slaughtered, but um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a weird dynamic. It's an ongoing thing. It changes year to year. Yeah, and and you were saying there, uni uni got hammered. Um, Obviously, the record for only once, only once. <laughs> yeah, Sheffield Uni's record's not great in it in terms of win loss. Is it? Well, no, uh, they've never won well. it. And <laughs> is the? I mean, I actually, interestingly, as I turned Skype on and looked you up, uh, there was a an, uh, a message you had sent me come up, um, basically sort of explaining that, that well, <laughs> agreeing with what we said in the pod that uh, you're. Um, your Hallam players are mostly Sheffield-based guys. Is that is that sort of still the the case? Is that I, I have to I have to look at it now. Um, uh, again, I, I'm not sure I broke down the numbers quite as, as rigorously this year, but uh, there was a there was a few years running where I would say that um, that that the the Hallam-based Sheffield players or the Hallam the, the Hallam uh, Sheffield-trained players uh, were beating the international the international all stars of Uni Out. Because you and Yav have had, um, we've had, uh, you know, like uh, guys from, you know, played junior systems in, in Czech national team. Uh, I think this year we were going to field something like four guys with Hungarian last names. Uh, lots of international players. Because I think the, the profiles of the different universities, Hallam tend to get more locally based players. Uh, uni tend to get more, draw more international players. Uh, uh, students. So you often get a case where you've got uh, uni is full of a bunch of players who played in Canada, Czech, Hungary, um, you know, Russia, uh, but are kind of past their best. And Howlam are a bunch of young guys that were born and raised and trained in Sheffield. Um, and as you know, somebody who coaches at Sheffield Academy as well, I'm, that fills me with pride that these kids are good enough to beat them. But um, it, it's a it's a cliche that probably doesn't bear up to too much scrutiny. But it's um, it was a couple of years when that was definitely the case. Yeah, that a lot of the the, the Hallam guys have been trained right here in Sheffield and play here. Okay, uh, so um, we've talked a lot about the varsity. Just in the Bears in general, you uh, you obviously came in in 2003. When did you start sort of coaching um, the Bears? <sighs> 
I did a very unsuccessful year as a B team coach uh, early in the early days um, when I was told by the players that I was my services were no longer required, uh, and then I started being uh, head coach of the Bears and the A's uh, about ten years ago now, um, a little less than that maybe. Um, I can't remember exactly what year. I think it was about 2010, 2011. Um, I took over just originally just to like help organize all the coaching and then took over, took over as 18 coach. And now we've got, uh, we're in a really good place. I think just, you know, the number of coaches we got, we've got a system in place where we try to train people to fill in for, you know, when we know people are going to be moving on, we try to start training people to step in and take their spots. And, um, you know, we have five or six teams a year, you know, you've got to make sure you've got the coach, uh, you know, good coaching staff for all that and people that can, you know, teach, yeah, so people that can, you know, command the attention and, um, you know, the, the, the commitment from the higher end players, but also ones that can teach the lower end how to skate, how to hold a stick, how to shoot a puck. So, um, yeah, it's been, but, but it's taken a long time to put all that in place. So probably about a decade now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you obviously you mentioned your dad is is one of your main your main influences. Um, yeah. On that, I mean, I, I presume in Canada, developmental players were were not were more few and far between than they are over here. Is it is that what's the what's the difference in challenge between teaching someone brand new to someone who's obviously thinks you know it all? Is? <laughs> it's um. I mean, I didn't do any coaching in Canada I was only a player there but uh, in Canada you've got you've got the elite leagues uh, that go all the way up but you've, but you've also got development leagues or they're called in-house or just house leagues we call them um, and uh, you've got a lot of kids there that you just want to play and they're not very good and they only want to train they only want to play a game once a week um, you know forget training they can skate a little bit they're not very good but they're just going to have fun playing those leagues um, and some of the people in those leagues have ambitions beyond it and they push themselves up uh, some kids are just happy staying there I think I, I dropped out of playing OMHA when I was about 16 uh, 15 16 I just played in house league after that and um, it was you know just it was just an easy way to play hockey and you know, still enjoying the sport. So um, you, you've got the whole range in, in, in right across the board. So, you know, from, from your lowest house league league all the way up to the OMHA, you've got quite a, um, uh, you know, a, a ridiculous same kind of thing you've got here. It's, you know, just you cover the whole set of leagues and the whole set of abilities. When I was at McGill, so about 95, 96, um, I, I joined uh, McGill is a big university in Montreal, and uh, I, I played one season there, kind of like in a rec league, just uh, you know in the in-house league there. As he played football at university here, and there were um, four divisions of teams just at McGill, with about five or six teams per division. So uh, no, there must be more than that, because there, there must have been eight, there were eighty teams in the four divisions all across at McGill. So that gives you a sense of how many people are playing hockey there. So um, here we've got however many teams we've got in all of England playing university hockey, but in McGill alone you had about eighty teams. So of varying levels and commitment and everything else. So um, the, the challenges in terms of coaching are you know completely different. Um, I'm. I, I've got great coaches that are doing a lot of the great work teaching, you know, the, the lower, um, you know, the our D team and E team stuff. So I, I don't have much to do that with anymore, but I know that the, whoever has that job has to be good at explaining things and teaching the basics. And their coaching plan for a session is completely the opposite to mine doing an A team game or an A team training session. Okay. Okay. And um, obviously the, uh, 
the last the last ten years with the the Bears A team, which you're heavily involved in, the Bears seem to have sort of hit a purple patch now, where they're they're pretty dominant. Um, how was that? A, was that a gradual thing to get to? I mean, this last this last season, the Bears have been awesome. Um, it, it's been a good season for us. Yeah, the last little while. We, um, I mean. <laughs> I, this is where I should just say, yeah, 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 it's taken me a long time to get everybody where I want them to be and play the way I want them to play. But as a coach, you know, you're only ever as good as the players you can put on the ice. So um, we we knew a couple of years ago, um, or maybe a little bit more than a couple of years ago, that what we were shy was about maybe two or three, four players that came in at the top. Because in the Bears, we've had in and around about 100 players now uh, for the Bears for a long, long time. But what we thought we were missing was if we thought we could just get a, a couple more top players, that would kind of just give us the balance so we could put those in there, then the the, the, the Bs would drop, you know, we'd, we'd get better and the Cs would get better. And we got that a couple of years ago. So it was just a matter of trying to get everybody to, um, you know, the BYJ has its own challenges and Sheffield has its own challenges in terms of, you know, the hockey community. So it was just about getting everybody working from the same page and playing hockey the same way. And, um, you know, the challenges we get sometimes, you know, playing the, the, the Edinburgh team, sorry, the, the Scotch teams, Edinburgh, and St. Andrews, uh, who are amazingly good teams and very dominant for a different pile of reasons and have very different challenges in Sheffield. But I think what we did was we managed to get to the point where we could compete against those two teams. Not to rule out other teams like Nottingham and Manchester and things, but um, it was the Scottish teams that had the you know that we had to, to beat if we wanted to to, to dominate. Uh, and I think we started to figure out how to do that. Um, but you know, partly just getting in a couple extra players, just getting more of that top end talent in. Right, right. And um, you've obviously got, I think you've got quite a few guys that play, is it NIHL 1, 2? I, I don't really understand mm-hmm. the NHLs at the moment, but right. um, is it is it a challenge to get those guys to, to come to games, to you know, to commit um, to the whole season? It, that, that's, that was the big thing for us to work out, as I understand it. Now, I mean, you understand the Scottish uh, system a lot better than I do, so correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the, what we what we always imagined was, you know, the Edinburgh uh, – amazingly talented players and St. Andrews had amazingly talented players and they seemed to travel so well um, you know they would show up the the A team that would show up that we'd have to play in Edinburgh was the same team that came down to play us in Sheffield and we would we, we could often put a really good team on the ice in Sheffield but we'd struggle maybe to go up to um, to go up to Edinburgh or St. Andrews for you now it's not just the distance because the Scottish teams are managing it so for, for us a part of the problem was because in Sheffield uh, you do you know almost the, the the hockey culture in Sheffield and the you know, Sheffield Academy and its success was almost um, the the um, it's been an incredible boon for for the Bears, but it's also part of the problem because. Um, a bunch of people come and join the Bears at the start of a season, and then they'll be playing also for Sutton, Blackburn, Widnes, Sheffield, uh, Nottingham. We've we've got players that played for all of those NIHL teams this year. So, um, and that, that's great because it makes them better players when they're training more, they're playing more. But then, you know, we have to call and say, right, everybody, come on, we need you for a, for a Bears game. They say, oh yeah, when is it? So yeah, it's um, you know, well, this game here at uh, ten o'clock in Sheffield on a Saturday night. Oh yeah, no problem, we can make that. Say so, great, what about the away game, uh, you know, a midnight face-off in uh, Murrayfield. It's not usually midnight face-offs, but it's usually 10, 11 o'clock face-off in Murrayfield on a Sunday night. And they think, oh, but i got to get back Monday morning. And so that becomes a problem for us. They're playing other team. 
games. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the training, they're getting the extra games, which is great, but then they're committed to other teams, so it's harder for them to commit fully to the Bears. So it was just about trying to cross that threshold about getting the, the players to commit um, for Bears and for these other teams, trying to strike that balance. So that's why I think we just needed a few more players just to kind of you know, give us a, a bigger pool to draw from. And then, of course, when we can draw from more top talent, when we need it, we can also draw on more talent from the B team. So, so you know, some of the B team players that would come up in any other season would be A team players, just because we've got this you know amazing um, uh, flood of talent at the top now. So um, it was, that was kind of the the trick about you know the, there's the 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 good thing about NIHL teams and all the teams in this area so you know within a, an hour you've got uh, you know all these NIHL teams that people can play for but it also presents some problems and that, that was kind of what was actually stopping us from getting as good as we needed to be to to beat uh, St Andrews and Edinburgh right right and um you uh, uh this this year, unfortunately, you uh, you guys missed out well, on the playoffs due to COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, last year, you, you you guys, from from my perspective, a little bit came from from nowhere in in, in rock nationals. Um, how how was that experience winning nationals last year, and how does that compare to your other seasons of success? Because I know Sheffield have had loads of seasons of success. Yeah, we we have won nationals a few times before. I mean, you know, we win it every. You know, I don't know if we've. You know, there's other teams obviously that have won it a lot as well. And you always look, and you always look at you know your your Nottingham and Edinburgh, obviously St Andrews, um, you know, teams that can win it. Um, that's not to exclude any southern teams as well, because I know London's won it before and stuff. But. Um, so every once in a while we've won it, and we thought, oh, that was good. But sometimes I always felt that you know that was because we had uh, one or two of the right puzzle pieces, you know, um, you know, one one super talented, you know, not just one super talented player, but you know, two or three talented players were able to join us that maybe couldn't play with us during the league as regularly. Uh, but last year's was really special, I think, for me anyway, and maybe it's just because of the coach, but um, it was a team that really came together, and we we really played the kind of hockey that I've wanted been playing for a long time and you know you look at that team and there's some ridiculously talented players on that team but the way they kind of all kind of uh, they just all kind of gave up any kind of um, any phrase. The, the team came first in that, in that the nationals and just they played a kind of hockey for each other in a way that you know we all came together for a plan and played it out that way now you know you still can't win nationals for any tournament unless you have a lot of luck as well so you know you can be the best team and you still don't win nationals if you know you i know that we were blessed because edinburgh had that game against st andrews right before and that helped and you know those things you always have to kind of allow for but the team really came together and played as they needed to play for that so i think that was a really really sweet victory that one um and then like i said hopefully we were kind of setting it up for okay we won nationals last year and as soon as we won it you know as, as a good coach you turn around and say okay great and you celebrate for about 20 minutes and then you say right let's start planning for next year how are we going to win the, the league next year how are we going to win nationals next year so you have to always kind of be looking ahead like that and so you know we were kind of looking forward to you know we'd, we'd done task one we'd won the, the northern cup did one and then we were already looking ahead to how do we win the playoffs how do we win nationals again and then try to stay up there that's what you want to do and success comes once in a while all the time but you know just to kind of stay up there and build a um I, I again okay i grew up watching nhl in the in the 70s i want to build a, a 
Canadians team. I want to build a, an Oilers team, an Islanders team. You know, where you, you have a, a, a dynasty. I think was the word they always used. So, um, yeah, that, that I, we were hoping that was going to be the start of something, you know, big. You know, not where you win every year, but you're, you're there every year. But um, obviously, our plans have been interrupted somewhat. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, as as of many teams, unfortunately, um, the. Um, this year, actually, unfortunately for Sheffield, obviously got cut short with COVID nineteen because I think all the teams apart from your E team won their the respective cup competitions. Um, the, I don't think the D's did, but they came really close. All right, okay. Uh, and uh, the the E team did really well as well. I mean, that's not to say that they had that uh, they had to play the Steel Queens, didn't they? They did, yeah. Uh, and and they, that was a, a lesson for some people that had never skated before. They were just looking like, wow, hockey can be fast. So it was it was a great season for us all around, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I was just going to ask. Obviously, I come from a smaller club where the most we've ever had in Edinburgh is two teams. Um, yeah. What's the? Uh, I mean, what's the? Is that is the success from say the D team or C team felt across the club, or is it just are they all in their own little bubble? How, I mean, how does the club interact with each other? <laughs> It's been sometimes it's been a little bit more atomized in the past. It's been a little bit more everybody in their bubble, but I think we're getting much better as a club at uh, bringing everybody in and making everybody's kind of celebrating success. So, uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, the coaches, we all, we're all, you know, we're all proud of each other's success. We all celebrate as a club, but I think that the players are getting, uh, getting more into it uh, and feeling more like we are the bears, not just I'm a team, I'm B team. There's a lot more. We're getting better now because we got the coaching set up the way we do with the coaches helping each other out with, well, um, so there's an A team coach. I want as many B team players training up with my guys as we can. Uh, and likewise, some of the A team guys go train with the B team to get some extra ice the C team train up with the B team, the you know, some D team we train up with the C team. So there's a bit more feeling across the club of, you know, this is, we are one hockey club um, and we're trying to improve each other. So we're, you know, we're looking at like an academy structure for that. So, you know, your best players from the C's will train up with the B's. Maybe your weaker players on the C's will train down with the D's just to improve their skating or, you know, work on skills like that. We, we kind of try to, you know, get everybody working together for for skills and to those terms, but also then things like the um, uh, you know the, the idea that you know to do varsity you have to volunteer at a game, uh, so that gets uh, you know A teamers watching D team games and uh, the socials of course are really important. So you got a club you know as big as ours, you got really good socials where everybody kind of intermingles and you get all kinds of. Um, you know, friendships developing out of that. So yeah, it, it is more of a feeling now of a, a club rather than just a, you know one team here, one team there. Yeah, cool. Um, and just obviously, I know that you, the the Bears aren't the only team that you're involved coaching with. How how did you get involved with the Sheffield Academy? I was when my my son started playing. I uh, he was uh, again he was about three. Uh, when he started, my eldest son, who was born in 2003, so he's a last year under 18 now, but uh, we were going, I remember um, when they first built a Sheffield, I think it was opened not long after he was born in 2003, and uh, we were driving in that area up to Meadowhall, and my um, baby son in the car, and my wife driving with me, and I saw the ice rink and said, oh, that's right, we got to get uh, gotta get Will skating. And my wife turned to me, she's English, uh, and, and looked at me in shock and said, uh, Michael, he can't he can't walk yet. And I turned to her in all seriousness and said, How do you think he's ever gonna to learn to walk if he can't skate? 
duh. And she had a moment of thinking, oh my God, Canadians are insane. They teach kids to skate before they can walk. And then she had a moment of, no, no, hold on. This is, okay, haha, very funny. But yeah, he started skating very young. So he started playing when he was about five um, at the academy, training at the academy. And then, um, I guess because of my silly accent, they figured that I knew something. So they asked me to come and help coach. And then I worked with some fantastic coaches there and learned a bit about coaching. So I've been applying that to the academy and bear stuff to the applying um, academy stuff to bears and bear stuff to the academy and kind of been coaching different age groups all the way for that for the last over a decade now. Cool, cool. And uh, and obviously uh, the other the other you, you coach many things. Uh, the IES teams. Yeah, and we briefly spoke about that. How does that experience sort of? How, how have you enjoyed that experience? What's been your favorite part of that? That that's been an amazing experience. I'll tell you, there's so many reasons to like the IIS games. Um, one, I feel like you know we're doing something really useful for for British hockey, um, because you know there's obviously the whole point of that game is to feed the you know the the GB Uni teams. Um, but for me as a coach, it has been a fantastic experience because you got these teams of superstars from all over the place, and there's really really great hockey players on that. But um, it's just a good time, you know. I mean, you get guys that are you know talented from Canada, from the US, from Czech Republic from uh, Latvia from all over the place and it's always good fun and we have a good time and the, the way that those guys because they're so competitive and they love the game and they love sport and they just they they gel right away I mean obviously you know maybe not as uh, sophisticated a way as they could if you know we had longer to work together but they, they do gel right away and they get ultra competitive they really want to win that game uh, and it's you know that passion is really good um, as a coach for me it was transformative because um, not having coached in Canada but you know having a vague memory of what hockey there was like because then again hockey there in the 70s and 80s was very different than it is now but uh, the biggest thing I took from that very first game was um, we, we said you know we put a the nature of the IS game, we don't meet until the day of. So uh, we always send the coaches, we send out uh, systems and information and th- you know, expectations. We do all those, you know, we do like a whole season of pregame talks and training uh, through Facebook group and just say, this is what we expect of you, this is what we want of you. And one of the things we always say, as I always say to all the teams are, uh, shift length should be 30 to 45 seconds, uh, which is how you're supposed to play hockey. And uh, of course, I always find nobody ever does that here. And I'm lucky if I can get players off after about a minute and a half. And in the first IIS game, we sent them out for the, for the first line out for their first shift. And the th- three forwards turned around and came to the, 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 um, the bench after at about 19 minutes and 30 seconds into the first shift, uh, you know, the, on the clock it said, and I looked at them and said, are you all right? And they went, yeah, you said 30 second shifts. And they came off and the next line went out. I just went, oh my God, they're actually going to do this. And, that um, that that level of understanding the game and getting you know, the buy-in changed my whole way of thinking about how uh, how to coach. Is you you know you you've got to here's the plan, guys, and you've got to buy in. You've got to do this because this is really important. And then watching how those guys kept their fitness up, and they were able to go harder and faster for longer because they kept to the short shifts. And then the way that they responded to the coaching instructions, not just me but the other coaches, because we got three other good coaches involved in IIS as well. And watching how they respond and going, ah, here, here's some really important things we need to take with us back to our club. So I take that back with me now when I'm coaching, you know, like 11 Bs at the academy or the under 16 girls or I'm coaching Bears 18. You know, I say, guys, short shifts and you've got to do it like this. And you've got to buy in at what we say. And um, it, it, that was transformational for me. I really enjoyed that. That was something that only really came about because we brought together all these players with so much experience from all over the world. Yeah. And then. Um... 
obviously, unfortunately, again, the, the game fell uh, victim to the COVID nineteen. Mm. Um, you you were you were part of the you were to be part of the coaching team this year. Um, you know, were you, were you looking forward to working with Kevin, who who was sort of new to to the IAS setup? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we only really uh, communicated a bit on Facebook, but uh, you know, obviously, seemed uh, the same. The same thing. I, you know, the something I've learned from all the best coaches. You know, I, I take something from all the coaches I work with, and you could see already. You know, he had the same kind of ideas about you know buying. Here's what we're going to get to do, and uh, looking forward to it. So just the enthusiasm for the game as well. It's it's a really special, I think, event in the in the BYHA calendar. But it, it'd, be, it'd be good. I'm going to plug it a bit more too. So it'd be good to keep trying to grow it because I think it. Um, it it could be one of those real kind of. Um, uh, I, I think you know the BOIJ has always had a really important role to play in British hockey, and I think uh, the, that that could that game could lift the profile a bit and kind of give it the, the BOIJ the credit it deserves for doing a lot of really important things in British hockey. So um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the whole setup. Yeah, I was looking forward to this year as well, obviously, but um, things being what they are. Well, I was I'm going to ask ask you. Um, so who are the best players you've worked with in the BIHA? I thought I'd start first with the IAS squad since you, you've only had sort of a snapshot of those guys, but who, who were some of your favourite guys in the two games you've been involved with with the, the IAS squad? Oh, all of them, really. Um, obviously, uh, um, Edinburgh, captain. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, yeah. Uh, I was trying to. I'm trying to think of his last name, and I can't. It's um, Tony. You know, it's Tony because, Sellers. Yeah. Because I kept thinking he was Hungarian for a long time, and I was thinking, but there's no SZ in it. And that was somebody else. Anyway, no, no. Tony. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's he's just a class guy through and through, and what an amazing hockey player. I I used to absolutely love watching him play and even though he always punished Sheffield. Uh, and he was he was in the first team. And then the second year we did it, uh, he said he, was only kind of, he, he wasn't going to play. And I was heartbroken. But he said he was going to come back and help coach. So that was, that was a small um, compensation. But, yeah, I mean, classy guy, absolutely brilliant player, not flashy, but uh, so skilled and so talented. And uh, just the way he plays the game is exactly that kind of – it's exemplary of the kind of player that you get in IAS. That you know the the, the hard work, the, the the ethic, the the skill level, uh, the commitment to winning, all of that. He, he exemplifies all of that. Yeah, and in, in, in general terms, in the in the BIH, I mean, who who have been some of the more I won't say best because that that always puts you on the spot, but who are some mm. of the more memorable players, characters you've played with, played against, uh, or coached in the in the BIH? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I should have done some prep for this. Uh, what who sticks out is Vlad uh, Volkanovs from uh, Manchester, um, who's, uh, again, great personality, played the IS game, ridiculously talented player. I, I got to say, what I played I played against him as well as coached against him, because I think I we went there for uh, last 18 game last year, uh, and I uh, we were a bit short, so I, I dressed and then decided foolishly that I was going to try to skate around and keep up with him. And I just had a feeling it was like a cat playing with a mouse. Uh, he, he, he was like, I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you around for this whole shift. And he's like, okay, smiling, like, you can try. And um, just, you know, the speed, the, the talent, and then just uh, also just kind of just being a genuine, you know, um, good hockey player, good human being, you know, just, um, you know, like good sportsmanship, uh, really competitive, but, uh, you know, nothing ridiculous, you know, just, um, just really good spirit on, on ice and off. Um, 
obviously I said t- Tony. Uh, let me think who else stands out. Um, there's been a lot of guys. The, the whole IAS teams have been great. Like I still keep in touch with some of them on uh, social media. Um, just you know, like you know, just to keep and you know, see pictures of them playing or wherever they're doing now and things like that. I'm trying to think if there's any standout bears. I'll get in trouble if I say any standout bears right now, um, because uh, obviously then I'll get. I'll get it in the neck from all the ones I haven't mentioned. Um, but, uh, I mean, this year's team has been really special. I think we've really enjoyed playing together. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been guys that, you know, could only join us for a few games that uh, you just watch. And you just want to stop sometimes and stand and applaud for the skill. You know, you see... Um, when I watch, you know, Joe Colton grab the puck this year and just, you know, do some of the stuff that he's done with it. You just, you just stand there and you just doff your hat and applaud. It's the kind of thing as a coach, you know, your genius as a coach was to send that guy out onto the ice, you know, which is nothing, right? And all, all you do is you just sit there and applaud and say, yep, yeah, I did that. That's as a coach. I sent him on the ice. That was, that was me. Um, and then, you know, there's other guys that you just, you know, some some guys you know whether you pull up from the B team or they just you know you use every game on the A's and you say get out there and do this shift and you give them a job to do and they absolutely do it beautifully. Um, I, I like um, my captain this year, Tom Brook Smith. He, uh, he he's become a, a power play specialist because he just goes and uh, puts his butt in front of the net uh, and just takes whatever beating the other teams want to dish out. I, I don't know what his stats are for this, but you know he's. He'll go on first line power play every chance I get because he does that right and he does it right and he scores goals every time. Uh, and again, again, as a coach, you know, you've said one thing to a guy, he's gone out and done it. Uh, or, you know, you don't you don't get credit for that, but um, you you just you just applaud the players and you know you feel gratitude towards the players for doing an amazing job. Mm. Well, I, I do. Um, I, <laughs> I I put out on Twitter earlier on to see if there was any questions. I missed it. Oh, I should have. I should have got onto my one of my one of my other Twitter accounts and sent myself a, a snowball question or a softball question. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So I only got one back because I only done it this morning. I should have maybe sent out two or three days ago, but we weren't sure what day we were doing this at the time. Yeah. So. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, no, no. It's all. It's all good. Um, but I got. Uh, I got. I got a message back from a player who you might be familiar with, Adam Carrot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> That's the reaction I had when I saw his name pop up. Uh, more than a player. He's become a he's a referee now. And uh, for a while there, our Sheffield 18s. So I'm I, I assistant coach to Sheffield 18s now with uh, with the, the legend Ron Shudra and uh, the legend Jeff Colton. Talking about other coaches that have influenced me, those two have uh, had a tremendous impact on my coaching since I moved to Sheffield. Uh, and um, we all work together at Sheffield Coaching, so I assist them on the 18s. And it seemed for a while that Carrot was refing every one of their games uh, which would have been fine and I, I, frankly I mean we all say Carrot's good as a, as a, as a ref the, the players don't necessarily agree but Carrot did dole out close to 400 minutes in penalties to our, to our team alone um, one game in Bradford or was it was that 400 no I think that was 400 total minutes uh, they, our, our team played in Bradford one game uh, and he, and so obviously the players are less enamored of Maya, but I mean obviously I think he is a legend and a, a Bears legend, a BUIHA legend, and now apparently a refing deity. I don't know how that's happening, but uh, yeah. So go on, Karen said what? So his uh, his question to you, and I presume this is about playing. I uh, was, are you finally retiring? <laughs> 
Oh, you saw me skate this year, did he? Um, no, I just imagine I'm just going to roll down the rankings a little bit more. Um, I, I was playing A-team a few years ago, uh, not so long ago, in fact, but then I was player coach for a long time, and I realized that, A, it was a lot easier to coach when... Um, I wasn't playing because I, I didn't have to, I could yell without having to struggle for breath. So, you know, coming off the ice, like, <laughs> yeah. it was easier if I didn't have to do that. Also, it was a lot easier to yell at players and build a, build a team built on you know, speed and um, hard forechecking when I wasn't having to get mad at the, you know, myself as a fat, slow winger. Uh, so, yeah, I'm playing bees now. Uh, you know, God bless the Dave Drenchfield, our bees coach, for still keeping me. Eventually, I'll just kind of get a bit old and roll into the seas, and then the I already played, I think, every Bears team at different times in my career. So, because sometimes with the tournaments, because I've been away with the, the kids for tournaments, I haven't been able to do tier one or tier two or tier three nationals. And one year, the BYHA they had a a team drop out. I think it was the Friday night before nationals were to start. So to, to not mess up the schedule, they called the Bears and said, "Could you guys put together another team?" And we said, "Well, we've got a few players that you know aren't players. We mostly we dressed. I think all the team, the club's goalies, to play out. And uh, there was me and you know somebody else that you know hadn't." picked any other team so i think i played e-team that year so it's just going to be natural i'm not going to retire i'm just going to keep um just keep fading away eventually i have to retire from varsity though but i'm holding on a little bit longer yeah so you're still playing in the varsity games then I was supposed to this year, yeah. Um, like, see, people do point out that, you know, maybe I'm the problem and maybe Uni will win when uh, I don't play. But I always point out that, well, if I wasn't, you know, still, my, my uh, you know, if, if Uni ever ever at a point where I wasn't one of the forwards that would make a top three or four lines, then yeah, we probably would have a lot better chance of winning. So, um, yeah, there's... Uh, the, I, was, I was supposed to. I, I do it on a year by year thing. I've got no real grand plan. If I, um, I, I suspect in my eldest son will start university. I think now in three years. So um, I'm not trying to hold out to see. He might not even come to Sheffield. But um, that, that's a good judge about when maybe it's time to pack up. So, uh, but yeah, I'll take it year by year. If I'm not good enough to make the varsity first one year, I'll try varsity seconds. If I'm not good enough for that, then I'll just go and coach because that's what I do. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And, um, just uh, just a couple of final final thoughts um, uh, first one is um, I'm sure Nick would have asked this uh, I don't know if you listened to our jersey pod uh, but how did you feel about the fact that we ranked the Hallam jersey as being much nicer than the Bears actual jersey and the shit you off jersey <laughs> Oh, okay, so I didn't hear this one. I did say, I, I do listen to the pod uh, almost religiously, though I'm a couple behind right now. I didn't hear that one. Uh, I would have written in very angrily um, because, um, no, it's not It's not nice. It's not a nice jersey. I mean, to all, to all the Howland Bears right now um, that, that are probably like, you're giggling at this. Um, it's a terrible shirt. I'm sorry, but it's awful. And for years, I don't know if this is still the case, but they had, um, you know, the team chats. It's a thing. It's a thing of beauty to behold the team chats that go back between Hallam and Uni. You've got four thousand uh, fans from either university that hate each other's guts, chanting each other back and forth, and. Um, some of the chants are, are fantastic, but the Holland team logo or the motto a few years uh, for a few years running was boing boing, and it was like that was on their shirts. It was a 
It was boing, boing. I went, but what? And the shirts are terrible. No, they're not nice. And the uni have black and gold. That's classy, right? That's that's a thing of beauty. And with the S, that, that's a nice... We've had some bad shirts. Holland had, uh, sorry, uni had the worst ones. They were almost like a puke green with our logo on it. It was terrible. But the the, the black with the S, that's, that's nice. That's classy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I have <laughs> not a particular difficulty, but... Um... Nick and I both particularly like the colour of purple on that. Uh, it's purple and white, though. We are, we are toying with some ideas for uh, new Bears uh, logos uh, and jerseys because it's been about four or five years now, I think, with the same ones. And you know, the, you know, the merchandising. You know, we're we're you know we're a big club. We're slaves to um, to merchandising and fashion. So uh, look for some new changes and some new third jerseys and stuff coming out soon. So, um, but yeah, maybe I hate the Howland one because I so often see it. Uh, you know, when I'm looking up from through my tears and you know having just suffered another crushing defeat <laughs> um the uh the next one the couple of couple of sort of quick hit questions uh what what is the most memorable goal you've scored oh um that yeah i know i have to go with that one so there was there was um i can't remember how many varsities ago it was um i'll get back to you on that but there was uh a varsity going back and in two minutes left to go in the game, we were down 4-2, Uniav. And there's so many people right now listening going, rolling their eyes like, oh, here he goes. Um, and we were down 4-2 with two minutes to go. And uh, I got uh, alone in front of the net. And uh, the, two D, the 2D were in the corner. The two Hallam defenders were in the corner covering the one guy with the puck. And I literally, because I was a coach then, and you can't turn it off, I was literally calling one of them saying, hey, cover the front of the net. And I was the guy in front of the net. And then I realized, what was I doing? So I shut up. The pass came to me. I slotted it in. It was a really simple goal because I was just you know, stood there by myself. Uh, and that was two minutes to go. So then um, with... 15, about 15 seconds to go, uh, I got the puck just inside my blue line, skated through the neutral zone on challenge, stepped in over the opposition blue line, and took a shot, just kind of blindly thought, get the puck to the net. And I've got probably one of the worst slap shots um, in the history of the BUIHA. I'm a forward, my job's to stand in front of the net. I just wound up from inside the blue line, fired it in, it went in top shelf with 15 seconds to go. So that would be the most memorable goal. Mm-hmm. Um and I loved it and it felt great and uh, wow and we still lost the game because we went to overtime and that was tied and then we had the penalty shots and bizarrely I wasn't called to do one of the penalty shots I I think I'm on a roll but no so we lost the game anyway that that goal of 15 seconds was um, certainly one of the most memorable and one of the ones I talked the most about mostly because that game is most people remember that game not because of the goals of the comeback but because in the first period I got hit in a way that I flew a hip check, I literally flew through the air. So I, my literally, my legs are wider in the air, my head's in the air, and I landed butt that head um, right down like that. Everybody remembers that hit. Nobody. I always say, do you know that in 15 seconds ago I scored the game tying goal? I was like, no, no, but that hit was great. And that hit is always in the um, varsity uh, highlight reel that they show on the big screen before each new match. And I'm always stood in the tunnel hearing 8,000 people scream, and I always know the moment they show that because the Hallam side all go, ah, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they showed that part again. And I'm not even watching it. I just know it's on the screen. <laughs> my own kids think it's hilarious. My, fo- my, my kids all have it on their phone, and I 
remember saying like, um, they, every time you meet, meet anybody, hey, you want to see a picture of my dad? And they show that picture of me flying through the air. So. But that's the most memorable goal. The, sh- the long answer of a, of a very good short question. That's, that's fine. And um, the next one, it, probably more important than the in the BIHA, in, in my opinion, sometimes is it. What's the most memorable chirp you've either given or heard or, or whatever? <laughs> I can't say any of them, my favorites. Um, but I literally, the first, the first, uh, the first two or three that came to mind, I literally can't say them. Um, there was one. It was, it was, there was one that was more an apology for a chirp um, because somebody said something. Uh, one of the bears, you know, we had the megaphone for a few years. Yes, uh, I yeah, remember the megaphone. You probably loved the megaphone. Everybody else did. Uh, and actually, you know, the guy on the megaphone is now a ref, right? So, um, you know, the guy who had it most of it. But what a, some other guy yeah. had it. And he said something, he did a chirp, and it was just one of those ridiculous, stupid ones. And somebody in the stern, that sense, turned to him and said, that's my son. And uh, the guy just kind of dropped his face when... <laughs> completely red and he just looked and said I am so sorry <laughs> uh, and he absolutely meant it I mean he was he was near tears and it, it was just I mean that wasn't even that was, that was a terrible answer because that was a bad chirp it, it's got to be the Hallam Uni ones chirps um, and they go both ways um, you know there, there's some there, there's some really really quite and my wife teaches at Hallam she's a lecturer at Hallam and because my kids bless them still say they want to cheer for uni every year they she has to sit in the uni section surrounded by 4,000 uni fans who are chanting disgusting vile abuse to the Hallam fans don't worry they, they, they throw it right back and the penalty boxes are on the Hallam side so whenever I get a penalty varsity I get all sorts thrown at me but um, some of the chirps really are genuinely amusing I'm trying to decide if I can actually say some of them um, but you know, two E's and a swimming badge is you know the famous Hallam, the, the one the uni say to Hallam, uh, we go somewhere you don't go, uni, uni. Um, uh, the, the, the one where they said, uh, oh no, I can't, even, I can't even repeat those ones now. Those, those are the best. Uh, we'll have to get a compilation of them one year and collect them all or something and then put them out there. But they're, they're, those are definitely the most amusing chats because they get managed to get. Uh, a real kind of all the university tensions for the whole year ex- explode in that one game uh, not just between the two hockey teams obviously between the, the sets of fans uh, who genuinely and also you know, this is the thing they genuinely usually get on really well usually in Sheffield there's not like a Hallam unique um, rivalry it's just um, people intermingle they intermix uh, and I think just that one game brings in a lot of friendly competitive spirit so you get some really interesting amusing things there <laughs> Cool. And um, just just finally, uh, we've we've talked a lot about about co- um, about coaching and, and and what have you. If there was anyone that was you know maybe thinking of getting into hockey or coaching, what what sort of advice would you give them? Where where to start? Oh, um, just just do it. You know, play. Uh, and with coaching. Um, with just playing just enjoy it like that's the most important thing just whatever you're doing just have fun with it because and, and whatever level you're playing at you have to enjoy it like there's no point if you're the best player or if you're the worst player just you have to be having fun I see a lot of guys like at the 
top level or even you know children who, who just are getting into it and they're not enjoying it the parents are pushing them in one way or they've lost passion for the game or they uh, even top players who you know they moved somewhere thinking this is good for their their long-term career and they just don't enjoy it so they, you know they, they they enjoy it when they come back and think you know i just have to have fun with this i have to make it something i want to do again because it's a game it's just a big game uh so playing definitely you have to be having fun whatever level you're playing at with coaching i'd say you have to take coaching seriously it's not um it's not something where it's just show up and then put five guys out on the ice and put another five guys out on the ice and then put the first five guys back out on the ice. You have to, it's an art and it's a skill, you know, so like read stuff, watch games in different ways. So watch and um, look at videos and uh, read some books on plays and systems and strategies. And uh, even if you're playing, you know, NHL on the Xbox, you, know, you could adapt the strategies on there. So I was getting my pants handed to me on, on NH, NHL 20 on the Xbox. And then I looked at the strategies and realized I was playing a kind of really passive trap. I'm like, well, that's silly. So I put a much more aggressive um, forecheck in, and now I'm doing a lot better. So, you know, you have to, with, with coaching, it's almost the opposite. It's an art, and you have to enjoy it, but take it seriously and really study it and become a, a student of it, learn about it. It's, it's not just about something you can just, not just something everybody can do. It's like, um, you know, you, ha- you have to learn about the game. You have to care about these things. Yeah, right, there you go. Everyone got free video game advice as well. Uh, and that's really... <laughs> And that no one final question, not not hockey related. What what uh, what sort of is there anything you would recommend for people during this lockdown they should be watching on Netflix? Oh, uh, some of your suggestions from that podcast are really good. I went and tried to find most of them. You cannot find like Mystery Alaska or anything like that, um, with you know in any legal form uh, anywhere on Netflix or anything like that. Um, geez, um, everybody should watch Slapshot because. Then you'll understand what I had to endure in the 70s and 80s. Um, in terms of hockey, you know, the, the, the best thing, actually, yeah, well, actually, hold on. Um, Canada, the, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, did a series called uh, Hockey, A People's History. And it is as cheesy as it sounds, but it's a fantastic series on the history of the game. I don't know where you'd get it. So that's actually a really crap recommendation. I will tweet out if I find it. I'll tweet it to you the um, where where you can get this. It's probably just available on YouTube somewhere. That that's it's like a ten part series of the history of the game. That is fantastic. Um, you you learn so much about it. and in learning about the history of the game, you learn a lot about the systems and the strategies and how things have changed. So it's great for coaches. It's really interesting just for your casual player. Um, that would that yeah that would be my that would be my my, my tip. I'm just not sure where to get it. Um, but then I didn't vet these things for, um, uh, for uh, you know, availability. One thing I could say to watch, can I do a plug? Yeah, of course you can. Uh, we, uh, so at Sheffield, we've uh, been working on this little project. It's been secret up till now, actually. So this is the first time that we're telling the outside world about it. Is uh, We were devastated about not, I was devastated about not being able to lose varsity again for, I think, about the 17th, 18th time in a row. So what we're going to do is we're following the lead of some of the big NHL clubs that had their seasons cancelled. And we have made all the uh, Sheffield Union, Sheffield Hallam players from both first and second varsity. And we're going to put those on NHL 20 on an Xbox, and we're going to stream the game. We're going to put the games in full simulation mode and stream the games for people to watch. So if you watch anything, well, we have confirmed dates for those. We'll send it to you, and uh, they can watch it probably on Mixer, or Twitch, or something like that. They can watch the uh, the varsity games and not miss out. 
That's excellent. Um, I'm, I'm sure many will tune in to that. Uh, <laughs> I, they do so with a lot of uh, understanding and uh, more than a considerable. I get two four would be good, you know. Get a two four and, and do that. Yeah, I think some people may um, have you. You may have some written letters from your own players uh, uh, questioning their their rating on that. They all question their rating. They will have each and every one of them, even the ones that be topical. Really, I'm only like four better than him overall. Seriously, uh, yeah, it's we're not we're not releasing any of that information. It's going to be the game is going to be what it is. Again, the, the the a lot of the NHL teams have done it. The um, they, they, I saw this on Twitter. Like the, the Montreal Canadiens is uh, my second team, which as a Leaf fan I know is practically sacrilege, but uh, they always tweeted out saying, you know, here's the game that we were going to play tonight against the you know the Ottawa Senators, and we're going to stream it on Twitch uh, and do the NHL 20 version of it. So uh, I don't know how it worked out for him. I never watched the whole one, but I, I think the varsity one should be good for for uh, amusing commentary and uh, just to see how badly I rendered everybody's faces as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that that's great, Mike. Uh, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Uh, just everybody, all the Bears, uh, obviously, uh, all the other uh, just. No, just 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 mostly the bears for now. For all of that watch it and listen to this. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been it's been a blast uh, listening to to your stories, um, and uh, and you know reminiscing about some of the the old times with the bears and 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 what like. Um, so uh, thanks for being the the first official member of the uh, the, the BHA pod specials but um oh, wow. cool. uh, the uh, the second one to do it cuz the first one was meant to be just an interview so <laughs> right. cool. uh, um, but thank you for taking the time out I, of this afternoon I to do I do enjoy the pods I think they're really great I, I know it's uh, you guys put a lot of work into all the media stuff you do for nationals and stuff and then I think that that's been a really big part of bringing the BHA together you know as well and you should uh, just to give yourselves a bit of an applause um, because it's been you know like at nationals people can tune in and watch and i've seen you guys at work and it's great to see how everybody draws in and you know kind of enhances the spirit of nationals and then the pod's going to keep us going you know all in between you know the seasons where it's not nationals on so well done you guys as well well thank you very much and thanks for your time okay sign a nick for me i will do okay 